I have uh, probably told you before about my first real experience into the realm of romantic relationships. Uh, for those of you who haven't heard it, maybe this will be new. For those others of you, just tune it out if it's, uh, but it's, yeah, well, anyway. I was in eighth grade, began going out with a cute little girl who will remain nameless because she's innocent. Um, I think, I don't know, maybe not, I don't know. Anyway, we, uh, we went out, which we really didn't go out anywhere except out to recess probably, but um, uh, we would uh, we'd go out after lunch on the playground, held hands a couple of times, I believe I even stole a kiss, it was, you know, it was one of those. The relationship progressed nicely for quite some time, at least two weeks we were, we were together. Until, you know, you know how you can tell after a long time, long time relationship, things just aren't working out, you know. So uh, I, I could kind of tell that things weren't working out. And so instead of ha- having a conversation about that, um, I decided it would be a better thing to communicate my lack of desire for our relationship um, by, uh, by writing a note. Hastily written on a sheet of notebook paper, torn out of a spiral notebook. Girls love that. Folded up kind of crooked and slid through the louvers of her locker. Nice, intimate way to communicate. I was, uh, I was always known back then for my class and style. So uh, anyway, now if that wasn't bad enough, you know, the, here's what the note said. And I know I've told the youth group this uh, and probably have not won any points, but Dear, and again, she will remain nameless, but uh, I did, I, I put her name in there. If I dump you, can we still be friends? <laughs> it's not over yet. I hope so, because as of right now, you're dumped. <laughs> I have always been a pro at relationships. Right, dear? Yes. Relationships are kind of hard to figure out. Some of us struggle throughout life with relationships. Relationships are, are difficult, and there's there's ebbs and flows, and there's it's uh, it's kind of hard all the time to uh, to keep things all uh, you know on track in our relationships. But we want to have good relationships. I I don't know that we we ever go out planning for difficulty and conflict with other people. It's our desire to have good relationships with other people, whether it's in our marriage or with our kids or in our friendships. We're not going out looking for problems in those things. Uh, I, I mean. I think the great theologian from the early 90s, uh, Rodney King, may have said it best. Why can't we all just get along? Right? Some of you remember that. The rest of you are too young. And that just makes me old. Okay. One relationship that, that I especially want to be at peace with, that I want to be getting along, that I, I want it to, to, to be a good thing. I, I want to be at peace with God, right? I, I want to have a good relationship with God. I, I think most people, if they have any belief at all in a higher power uh, whatsoever, the primary thing they want to, is to be on his good side, right? And, and so uh, we want to live at peace with God. Usually at the end of life, if it looks like our lives are winding down, we want to, quote, make our peace with God, right? Uh, we, we hear that a lot at funerals. She's, she's made her peace with God. He's, he's now at peace, 
So how do we do that? How do we have peace with God? As we've spent over a month now studying this letter to the church in Rome, we've seen over and over again that people, that, that human beings, that we are not at peace with God. I, I mean, starting in chapter 1 there, in verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed to the ungodly and the wicked. And we're the ungodly and the wicked. <laughs> uh, there's, there's not a peaceful relationship with God. Whether Jew or Gentile, male or female, rich or poor, American, non-American, young or old, good-looking or homely, whatever, we're all sinners, right? We're not at peace with God. It doesn't come naturally for us to be at peace with God. It comes naturally to do whatever we want, when we want, with whomever we want. Living that way, though, causes broken relationships and especially a broken relationship with God, it doesn't promote peace. But deep down, although we're living to please ourselves, we have this desire somewhere in us that wants to be at peace with God. And so in this, this next passage that we're looking at in Romans, in Romans chapter 5, Paul begins to frame uh, all this theology that he's been talking about, all these uh, arguments for this and that and making these theological uh, arguments and things. He's taking all of that and he's, he's framing it, begins to frame it into a, a relationship. It's not just all this theology stuff, but this is kind of how it begins to play out. What's going on here is, uh, is, is more than a transaction. It's more than a religious formality of just getting on God's good side, so to speak. It's more than just legalistic law following. Well, God says this, I better try to follow as much as I can. It's more than just a distant judge granting a ruling in our favor, and then we go on with our lives. But, but it's, it's almost this picture of now the judge that has granted this ruling in our favor now wants a relationship with us. And... and, and it's all spelled out there. Paul begins to, to talk this way in Romans 5, beginning in verse 1. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Wow, there's, there's a lot there. We could spend uh, the, you know, the next weeks uh, diving through the, the, the inner things of this. But it all starts with a therefore. And if you know anything, if you've ever read anything about literature or studied anything, whenever there's a therefore, you need to look back and see what it's 
therefore, right? Yeah, you got it. Uh, so uh, so it, basically it's referring back to what's already come, right? We've already been marching through these first four chapters. Uh, and, and so Paul is relying on what he's been talking about and it's kind of all been leading to this. And now he comes to therefore because of all that. Uh, in the verse just previous, he says, it's talking about the justification that we have because of Jesus. And we talked last time about this justification is this is this picture of a, of a, of a judge interested in justice, uh, yet pronouncing us guilty, but then sending Jesus to pay that penalty for us, to serve our sentence. And so we've been justified by faith in Jesus' death and resurrection. So Paul's been talking about all of this. He says, we sinners have been justified, or he also uses throughout the, those, those uh, first four chapters, talks about being forgiven, talks about being redeemed, paid for, sacrificed for. We've, Jesus has done all that for us through his death and resurrection. So, uh, Paul's, you know, if, if we've been tracking with him up to this point, and Paul's assuming that we have been tracking with him up to this point, then, then we've accepted by faith Jesus' amazing gift of life through his death on the cross, and now we're at the point where we can because of all of that and because we've accepted that into our lives that means that we can live at peace with God it's it's really I mean if we think about it for any length of time it's it's kind of mind-boggling that that would even be possible I mean there's this huge contrast between chapter 1 verse 18 that the the wrath of God is being revealed and now by chapter 5 he's saying we can live at peace with God there is no peace with when the wrath of God is being revealed to sinners but now these same sinners can have peace with God later uh, in this passage there toward the end we, we read that uh, that Paul's talking about being reconciled to God it's all about this relationship language uh, it's it's not the stuff of of rituals and jumping through hoops and hoping I please God by 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 doing and saying the right things this is a relationship made right reconciled and it's all because of Jesus we can live at peace with God what does that mean what, what does it mean if we're if we're at peace with God Number one, it means that we have a friend in high places. Jesus gives us access to God, it says in verse two. Uh, the, uh, we, we have access. That, that term is, it, it really comes from the whole world of kings and subjects and, uh, where not just anyone can, can address the king whenever and wherever they'd like. They, they need to gr- be granted an audience with the king, right? They need to be given access, go through the proper channels or know the right people, and then maybe they can have an introduction to the king. Uh, this says that Jesus gives us access to the throne room of God himself. There's a story coming from the uh, the days of the Civil War when a young soldier in the Union Army had lost both his father and his brother in the Battle of Gettysburg and, and uh, he knew that his, his mother and sister back home uh, needed uh, much help with the, uh, with the family farm and wouldn't be able to take care of the planting, etc. That, uh, that they would need to do. And so he, he asked for a furlough and was granted a furlough to go to Washington, D.C. to plead his case with the president himself to, uh, to be granted uh, immunity from having to serve anymore so he could go back and help on the farm. He got to, uh, to Washington DC and, and, uh, walked up to the gate and, and told the guard there, I want to see President Lincoln. And the guard laughed and said, soldier, you can't go, just not anybody can just walk in and talk to the president. Just doesn't work that way and turned him away. And the man was, was dejected. He didn't know what in the world he was going to do. And he went across the street and sat on a park bench. And not very long after that, a little boy came up. 
And, uh, and he said, mister, you look unhappy. What's wrong? And the, the soldier, uh, told the boy, just, I just spilled it all out. It was all just kind of right there. And so he told about his, his brother and his father being killed and, and, uh, the, the situation at home and how desperate everything was and, and how he just came to talk to the president and couldn't get in. And, and the little boy listened and then he said, well, you know what, mister? I, I think I can help. And, and he grabbed a man by the hand and, and, and said, follow me. And they got up, and this man didn't really know what to do, so followed this this young man, and they walked across the street and back up to the gate and didn't even stop. They just walked right through, and, and the, the guard didn't stop them, and this guy's not really knowing what's going on and continues to follow along, and they go up and go into the White House and past all these dignitaries and generals, and, and nobody's saying a word, and they're just walking. Finally, they get to the door of the Oval Office itself, and this little boy just kind of, you know, kicks right in and walks right in, and there is... Abraham Lincoln and the Secretary of State standing at this desk looking over battle plans. Lincoln looks up at the boy and at this soldier and says, Well, good afternoon, Todd. Introduce me to your friend. And Todd Lincoln, the son of the President of the United States, said, Daddy, this soldier needs to talk to you. And the soldier pled his case before Mr. Lincoln, and he received his exemption right then and there. We have access to the Father because of the Son. We wouldn't have access were it not for the Son. We have a friend in high places. We can accept the gift of Jesus by faith. And when we do, what he has done for us is given us access to God himself. Jesus has died for our sins. He has served the sentence that we deserve. And, and, and he offers us access to God the Father. Peace with God is possible because we have a friend in Jesus. It also means when we have peace with God that we have stability and we gain maturity. Having peace with God gives me stability to, uh, to, to, to handle what life brings my way, I guess. It's a stability that people outside of that relationship with God can't really, can't really comprehend. Verse 2 says that we literally, that, that, that it is by the grace of God uh, in which we now stand. We're standing in the grace of God. The term is all about a, a solid, sure footing. It's a place of security and strength. Martin Luther uh, was, was often plagued with doubts of his spiritual life. Great theologian, uh, father of the, the Protestant Reformation and, and all these things. And yet in the, the quiet of his time, many times he would, he would have these doubts. And, and when those doubts would come, uh, one way that he overcame them was to go to a, a secluded place. And he literally is uh, said out loud, Satan, leave me. I am baptized. We'll talk later, I'm sure, uh, in this series about the whole issue of eternal security and, and all the, the nuances of all of that. But, but, but there is a stability that comes when we stand in the grace of God. When we have accepted Jesus' payment for our sin for ourselves and we say, apply that to my life, there is a stability that, 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 that nothing can, can harm us. We've all experienced times of doubt and difficulty and, and struggle. In verse 3, Paul calls them sufferings. But he says that instead of letting those things get us down, it says we can, we, we can glory in those things. Or another word for that is we can rejoice in our sufferings. Pastor was, uh, was talking with one of his uh, parishioners 
about some of these issues and issues of faith. And, and uh, this, this parishioner he's talking to is, was literally a, uh, was a, uh, a mentally challenged gentleman and they were going back and forth. They just love that relationship. But this, this, uh, this man uh, began to explain. He said, Pastor, I, this is how I see it, he says. He says, uh, the way I see it is that, that in this life, God places us in his oven. In here, it's hot and it hurts. No one likes being in the oven, he said. But preacher, when, when life is over and the bell dings, God takes us out of the oven and he says, well done. <laughs> it's one way of seeing it. And, and I think begins to explain this process of, of becoming or maturing through suffering that, that, that Paul lines out here. He says, we're, we're standing in this grace. If, if we're standing in this grace of God, then it's this incredibly strong and stable place to be so that no matter what happens, it can't affect my standing in God's eyes. I can still live at peace with God even in the midst of difficulty and pain. But it doesn't end there. Paul goes on to say that suffering actually leads to good things in our lives. If we're living in that grace, he says that suffering makes us persevere or endure. He says that builds our character, that, that it makes us mature. Well done, I guess. That, that whole process fills us with hope, he says. It's the kind of hope that comes from God, hope that we can rely on. Suffering leads to maturity and grows godly hope inside of us. That hope is more than just pie in the sky, wishful thinking. Boy, I, I, I wish things were different. Uh, that term, uh, actually, if we saw it in Greek and we knew Greek, we would know that that term is more than just this, this little hope of, of wishing something. But actually, it's, it's a lot more like faith. We're not disappointed. It doesn't put us to shame because this hope comes from God himself. We have long-term hope. Not just in our circumstances now, but we have this perspective of, of, of future that God is holding in store for us. We have hope in God. We trust him and what he's doing despite what it looks like right now. That's part of living life with God. We have peace not only with him, but peace in whatever circumstances come our way because he gives us hope that will not disappoint us. You know, today is Super Bowl Sunday. It's the culmination of months of strategy and training and, and, and running and tackling and passing and uh, firing coaches and, you know, all those things. Never really means much to us here in Cleveland past the fourth or fifth week of the season. But uh, it's, you know, still cool to, to be there and be a part of uh, and, and to look forward to this game. No matter who you root for, uh, one thing that makes a game, football game or any other game, uh, entertaining is that we don't know who's going to win. Now, you can listen to all the commentators and they'll be talking all afternoon about why this team will win or why that team will win. And, and yet it all has to come back to the game and they have to play the game, right? And, and we don't know who's going to win. And if the teams are evenly matched, maybe they go back and forth and back and forth and, and, and it makes it entertaining. It's fun to watch. We, we call that a good game. If it's real lopsided, we don't necessarily think that it's a good or entertaining game because we already kind of know how it's going to work out. I'd venture to say that some of the best games that, that, that you've seen have been games when your team uh, was, was kind of down and out and then they came back and they won, right? They, uh, maybe at the end of, of, of the half or the end of the third quarter, you're going, oh, it really doesn't look good. And I know, I'm not talking about the Browns because they wouldn't come back. But uh, anybody else, anybody, anybody else, I really am a Browns fan. 
at heart. But I have hope in other teams too because that hope does disappoint me and puts me to shame uh, because our hope... Never mind, sorry, that won't... The end of the half or the end of the third quarter and your team is down... And then, but then by the end, you know, maybe they, they, they stage a comeback and they're, they're coming back and they win in the end. That's, that's the game that you're hooting and hollering about and you're high-fiving and, and you're, you're talking about the next day or the next week or even into the next month or you're thinking back to, uh, great things. Those are the games that we remember. Paul says here that when we're, we're walking through suffering while we're living at peace with God, we can stick it out. It develops character. We can have confidence in the outcome, even if the score right now looks like it's stacked against us. Even if, uh, if it doesn't look like at halftime or the third quarter or whatever that, that there's really much hope at all. We can have hope knowing that God and his grace as we're living uh, in his grace, standing in his grace, we can have confidence that God is on our side and there will be victory. We can have hope in the God that we trust. He will develop you. He will grow you. He will strengthen you in the process and his plans will succeed in the end. Does that always look like what we want it to look like? No, but his plans will succeed in the end and it's all possible. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. It's all possible because of the most basic and exciting thing at all and this is where Paul jumps right to the heart of the matter He says, having peace with God means God loves me. God loves me. Say it with me. God loves me. Say it like you mean it. God loves me. I don't know if you meant it or not. I hope that you did. Bless you. Um, what makes all this possible? How in the world can we, can we, can we experience all this? Well, it all started with God. It all ends with God. It's because God loves us. If he didn't, where would we be? We'd still be in our sin. We'd still be experiencing the wrath of God. Jesus would never have come. We can't pay the penalty for our sin on our own, so we'd be dead in our sins. There's a quote that comes from old Richard's Almanac, which many times is mistaken as coming from the Bible. No, it's not cleanliness is next to godliness, although uh, that's not in the Bible either. Um, Maybe it should be. Um, Old Richard's Almanac says, and you've heard this before, God helps those who help themselves. No, that's not in the Bible. Believe it or not, some of you just got a big revelation today. God helps those who help themselves. We, We can see here in this passage that the truth of God's word is actually just the opposite. God helps those who cannot help themselves over and over in these verses we're we're described as helpless we're powerless verse 6 we are ungodly verse 6 we are sinners verse 8 we are God's enemies verse 10 we are literally without hope so what makes all the difference what provides that hope that will not put me to shame what makes it possible for me to live at peace with God God loves me makes all the difference in the world. This is the first time that, that, that Paul introduces this whole concept of God's love in the book of Romans. He's been talking about, about all these other wonderful truths, but he's, he's coming at it here and he, he, he actually begins to tar- talk now about the fact that God loves us. It's God's agape love. It's unconditional. It's divine love. It's not conditional love. Conditional love is love if. Uh, I, I love you if you do this. If you qualify, then, then I'll love you. 
It's not earned. That's love because of. Because of your position, because of what you can do for me, because of then I'm going to love you. Because Jesus' love, God's love is unwarranted. It is love in spite of. While we were still powerless, while we were ungodly sinners, while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. It demonstrated his great love for us. So now you see the importance of of Paul reflecting, first of all, for so many uh, verses there, first of all, in the beginning of this this uh, this letter, all about our sinfulness, that we need to really focus on our sinfulness and how, how, how bad and awful that is, because it makes God's love even that much more significant. The story is told of, of uh, author and poet Henry David Thoreau. As he lay on his deathbed, his sister asked him if he had made his peace with God, and Thoreau said, I didn't know we had quarreled. That's a witty response, but it's severely lacking in theology because we have all quarreled with God. We are ungodly sinners. We are enemies of God. There is nothing in you that deserves the love of God. You cannot reconcile yourself to God. God has provided the only way, and he did it at just the right time. Paul's not talking about a a specific date He's not talking about uh, 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 something on the calendar that, that makes it makes makes all this possible. That God was waiting for a certain time in history. Although we could talk about all that, and it, it's significant when you look and see how it all played out in history. But when Paul's talking here about uh, the perfect time, what's he saying? He's not saying what's well, a date on a calendar and circled. What was the perfect time? What was the best possible time? It was when we were still powerless. It was when we were ungodly sinners. God sent Jesus before you ever knew you needed him. And that demonstrates God's love even more. I heard the story of a woman telling about her child, childhood growing up in foster care. She said that when she was very young, her foster mom would drop her off at Sunday school each week. And, uh, and, and the, the, the little girl would always ask the foster mom if she could keep her, her golden locket with her. And the mom thought that was, that was uh, nice and she'd give her the locket and the woman, the, the foster, uh, foster child who now grown was telling this story and, and she said, uh, my foster mom thought I really liked that locket but that wasn't it at all. She said, I, I knew I wasn't worth coming back for but I knew she'd come back for her locket. <laughs> you and I both know she was indeed worth coming back for but... We're not worth coming back for, really, are we? But God thinks and knows that we are. Even though we are powerless and ungodly and sinful, God loves us. Before you ever knew you needed God to love you, he loved you. Maybe you know the name Karl Barth. He was a theologian, uh, passed away in the 60s, theologian in the in the uh, 20th century and the book of Romans uh, played a key key role in his um, in his developing his own personal faith and and kind of the foundation of his works of theology and many people uh, hail him as one of the greatest uh, Protestant theologians of modern time. On a visit to the United States in the '60s, shortly before his death, uh, uh, Dr. Karl Barth was 
was invited to speak to a large gathering of scholars and students at Richmond Theological Seminary. And, and he presented all of these theological truths and, and the, the students were, were you know, just uh, eating it all up. And after his presentation, they opened it up for questions and one student raised his hand and said, Dr. Bart, after all you've read and all you've written, what is the most profound thought you have ever had? Without a moment's hesitation, Karl Bart replied, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Bottom line, that, that's it. We can talk theology and, and how we understand how this life with God works, and we need to do that, but the bottom line is that God loves you. And he demonstrated that love by sending his son Jesus to die for you while you were still sinful. You can have peace with God because he loves you.